Luke chapter 10. Today we want to talk about the good portion as we continue our series in Luke. This is our, I keep tallying, this is our 27th message in Luke. So we've been here for a while. We'll be here for a while longer uh, and taking breaks in between. But uh, Luke chapter 10. Um, I want to know today if you've ever been distracted. Have you ever found, have you ever found yourself distracted? I know I have. Uh, I remember distinctly when when my kids were younger, my, my wife and I, Clarissa, have uh, kids from the age of 21 all the way down to seven, seven, seven. And, uh, and so we sort of had kids in, we had four kids really close together and then a long break and two trailers. And so uh, we, but I remember when, when my kids were younger, that first wave, we were out in Colorado together and and, uh, and just enjoying some vacation time. And we were driving from one spot to another. I don't remember why, um, but we were driving through, through Colorado and, and getting there. And, and we had a time, there was a time crunch. We had to be there. So I was trying to make good pace. And we were driving on this plateau, kind of a windy plateau between a bunch of mountain ranges. And so everywhere I drove around me were just gorgeous beautiful Colorado mountains. I mean, in every direction, there were snow caps as we kind of wove our way between them. And, 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 I, and I was just taking it in and, and enjoying this scenery that was absolutely stunning as we moved for the, uh, through there. And the, the only problem was that I was supposed to be driving. And so I, I'm trying to, to take in all this scenery and drive at the same time. And driving kept getting in the way of looking at all this great scenery. It was so beautiful. So I, I'm kind of cruising through on this two-lane highway through this plateau and, 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 and mostly looking around and every once in a while looking at the road in front of me and try, trying to be as safe as I can but enjoying this scenery so much. And all of a sudden I hear from the, the back seat one of the four kids at the time say, Dad, you got to pull over. And I'm like, oh, my kids have to, like every five minutes, somebody has to go to the bathroom. I'm like, no, we're not pulling over. We're going, hold it. And then about two minutes later, one of the other, no, dad, you got to pull over. I'm not pulling over. Then like the third kid, dad, pull over right now. And so I find this little gravel turn off and pull outside and all four kids pile out of the van to the side of the road and just start puking all over the side of the road. And I thought as I'm watching this, like people are driving by and they're not pointing at the mountains. They're like, look, look at that. The entire family is throwing up. And I thought, you know, maybe I should have paid a little more attention to driving. <laughs> maybe I should have done that. Um, I don't know. Apparently, I was distracted by driving. I should have just pulled over and enjoyed the scenery around me and been undistracted by that. Uh, sometimes there's a good thing, but we're distracted from it. I, I don't know if you've ever found that to be true. You and I know what it means to be distracted. We also know what it means to be distracted from being a follower of Jesus. Sometimes we're so busy pursuing important things in life that we just forget about the good things, being a disciple. If there's one thing that I want you to know today, one thing I want you to remember and write down, we'll put it up here on the screen for you even, being a disciple of Jesus is the good portion. Being a disciple is the good portion. And you or I are going to find in our text today that there are a lot of distractions in life. 
And our text today is going to teach us, Jesus is going to talk to us about pursuing the good portion, which is being a disciple of him. So we've been in our series in Luke for a long time. We call it, call it Luke Life on purpose because the idea simply here is that Jesus, uh, Luke wants to show us that Jesus did life on purpose. His going to the cross and being crucified, dead, buried, raised, as we said in the Apostles' Creed, all that was part of the plan. It was on purpose. And so we look at this and we want to be disciples on purpose intentionally as well. Luke is you can break Luke down into four sections, and we're in currently in the third section. Luke is chronicling his journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And it's the longest section of Luke, and so we're going to be here for quite a while. But just to kind of bring you up to a little bit of context and to set the stage for where we are today, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, Jesus talked about discipleship being really hard. Being his disciple would be hard and tough. Last week, we said, being a disciple, really, uh, we have to ask hard questions of ourselves. Do we love our neighbor? And we looked at the Good Samaritan last week. Today, we're going to see that discipleship is expanded to all kinds of people. And we're going to see that discipleship is the good portion. So I want to read just five verses today. I want to read it all as we get going here and have that in our minds as we talk through this text. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. Again, today I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen the good portion. This is where we get our title and big idea for our text today, is this simple phrase, Mary has chosen the good portion. You see, being a disciple of Jesus is the good portion. Uh, we understand good portions, don't we? Uh, I, one of the things I was thinking about the good portion is I was thinking about T-bone steaks. Now, I don't know if you like meat, but I love a good T-bone steak. Um, oh, it's so good. But th the whole steak is wonderful for the most part. There's the part that's, you know, like the, just the big part of the T-bone that's delicious and enjoy it. But then there's this little part on the other side of the T-bone. It's just this, this little part, part of meat that is my favorite cut. It's the good portion. It is the little part that just kind of when you cut it, it melts in your mouth. It's cooked right. Uh, I'm making you hungrier right now. We don't have T-bones today. Uh, we do have chili. Maybe someone put steak in their chili. I don't know. But the whole idea, there is a good portion to a T-bone. And then there's a normal portion. And then there's some fat and gristle that most people just cut off and leave in the corner of their plate because it's kind of the bad portion. Why would anyone do that? 
My, mo- my mom told me this story when she was growing up. She remembers uh, her mom, my grandmother, uh, when, when like a meal would be done, a big family meal where they all had some kind of meat portion. They'd cut the fat and the gristle off in the corner and everyone would leave it. And her, her mom would be cleaning up dishes after this thing and, and she'd just eat all that leftover fat as she's cleaning up the dishes. And I just thought, that is so absolutely disgusting. Now, now here, okay. She just in, somehow in, ate the bad portion. Um, just a, a little deal you have to make with me. So uh, someday Jesus is coming back and my grandma's going to come with, with him. If you could not tell her that I told you that story, <laughs> that, that, that would be great when you meet her. Um, there's this idea, we get the good portion, don't we? Um, as we dig into our text today, there, there's a lot of different kind of takes that you can take away. Some people read this text and and take that Mary valued the contemplative life and the, the active life. So that, I mean, that was kind of a common interpretation of this text throughout all the Middle Ages, in fact. Um, some people today read this text, and, and what Mary did was, uh, was very countercultural in sitting at Jesus' feet, as we'll look into. Some people read this, that this text is all about women's rights. And, and, and I get both of those ideas, both of them. I, I can see where they come from in the text. Um, and it's not that Either one of those is necessarily right or wrong, but I just think the text's primary purpose isn't really about either one of those. The primary purpose is that Jesus is telling us that discipleship is the good life. And Luke wants to note this. Discipleship is the good portion. Luke has in mind that I think we learned two things from Jesus' teachings here um, and these two things about the good portion of discipleship. The discipleship is, is the good portion. So the first one is that you need to know is right here. Anyone can partake. Anyone can partake in the good portion. So we have this text here. And, and, and in this account, Jesus comes to this town, a village outside of Jerusalem. We know it was Bethany and not too far from Jerusalem. And, and there's a woman named Martha who welcomed her him into her house. Uh, Mary and Martha were sisters. We can figure that out from the text. If you would fill it in with John's gospel, we learn more about Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha were sisters to Lazarus, who uh, John records in his gospel that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they're sisters of of Lazarus. They're good friends of Jesus. Uh, We also learn from John's gospel that Mary is the, the sister of Martha here. Mary is the one who anointed Jesus' feet with an expensive perfume and, and used her tears and her hair to wipe his feet. It's actually recorded in Luke 7. Luke doesn't give us her name there, but we know from John that this is the Mary. She was a, a sinful woman. She had a reputation, let's just say. And she was the one who found this beautiful forgiveness at the feet of Jesus. And so we see here in in this context that Mary uh, and Martha, Martha in particular, welcomes Jesus into her home. It's an honor for her to invite him, and it's an honor for him to come. I mean, this is a big deal. It's an honor to host Jesus. And it would be uh, expected for Martha to make preparations for Jesus and for all of his his, uh, you know, uh, posse that sort of came with him, all the, the people that came with him, she had the responsibility for this. 
And so culturally, she had a large responsibility to feed and host this entourage of people. So you can imagine in a small, uh, a small first century Jewish home that her, uh, that's maybe one room, maybe she's cooking somewhere, maybe on the roof, maybe outside, in a small one room house, Jesus and his disciples are packed into it. And as she's in there, she's cooking and she's slaving away. And she looks at this thing and she sees something that is totally shocking to her. Her sister is in the living room with Jesus and all the disciples. The whole entourage. And Mary is there at the feet of Jesus. Now why would this be so shocking? I mean, we read it first of all, and we see an old, uh, a sister complaining about her sister, but just the fact that Mary is in the room sitting at the feet of Jesus is shocking. Well, first of all, it's shocking because she's a woman. In the first century world, a, wo- a Jewish woman would have been separated from men in this kind of setting. Men and women in first century uh, circles just sort of operated in different circles publicly. And so it was strange and unusual for Mary to be in the room in this way. At the best case scenario, she would have been at the fringes of the room, maybe in in the doorway, listening, standing and listening. But here we find Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Um, and at, we kind of think that, wait, is she sitting like, like she's a dog at the feet of her master? No, no, the, you have to remember, there's no couches in this living room. There's no upright chairs like we have. In the first century, they sat uh, on, probably on, uh, towards the floor. And so she's basically sitting at Jesus' feet, which is the position of a disciple. At the feet was a posture that all the disciples in the room had for Jesus. He was the rabbi, the teacher. They were sitting at his feet listening. And so what's so shocking for Mary is that her sister is having the audacity to say, I am a disciple of Jesus. Mary is incredible, Martha, excuse me, is incredibly bothered that her sister is doing this. And what I love more about that text is the words here. In verse 39, Martha had a sister Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. One of the words that we've been stressing throughout the Gospel of Luke over and over and over is this idea of hearing and obeying. We talked about it last week when we talked about the Shema and how the, uh, the Jewish lawyer who came to Jesus quoted the Shema, but left out the word Shema, the whole idea. Uh, Jesus says, blessed are those who hear and obey. This idea that in the Jewish world, hearing, listening, and obedience were connected. You didn't listen unless you wanted to obey. That was listening. That was hearing, listening, and obedience. So it's no coincidence that Luke says Mary was listening to Jesus. There's a lot of disciples in the room, and she is basically saying, I too want to be a follower or a disciple of Jesus. Now remember, Jesus had his 12 disciples, but he also had a lot more followers than that. And because we know that because he just sent out 72 of his disciples, his followers, out. So Jesus had a a following of people, and Mary is saying, I want to be like that. I, I too 
want to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. She wants to be amongst the hearers who listen and obey. She wants to be amongst the men. And what we're going to see here in Jesus' response is that Luke is showing us that Jesus is expanding the identity of who can be his followers. He's expanding the class or group of people to those that, that are more and bigger and beyond the traditional understanding. And we see this has been happening for multiple pages in our text now. If you look backwards, you would, you would see here, as you look through this, in just in chapter 9 at the end, we see that the, the 12, at the end of chapter 9, the 12 disciples saw someone healing people in Jesus' name, and they were like, we should stop them because they're not authorized. And Jesus goes, no, let them, let them do it. Huh. He expands. Jesus goes to Samaria, a non-Jewish region, and he sends out his disciples, 72, so he's expanding it beyond the 12, 72, he's sending them out to make more disciples of non-Jews. And then in chapter 10, verse 29, last week, we see we expands it to the good Samaritan, or even a Samaritan can obey the teachings of Jesus, even the dreaded Samaritans. And Jesus has clearly expanded the definition of who can be his follower. More than the Jewish elite, in fact, the elite don't even like Jesus. So Jesus went to common folk like fishermen, they can be followers. And then the ritually unclean, sick people, lepers, paralytics, they can be followers. And demon-possessed, Jesus heals them and they could even be followers. And, and sin, the sinful like Mary, they can be followers. And Samaritan, non-Jews, they can be followers. And now Jesus is saying in this culture, something that is shocking, a woman too, she can come and she can be my follower. And while that might seem a little strange for us, in the first century, that was crazy talk. That just didn't happen. And so Jewish women in the first century, they weren't devalued. In fact, uh, in some contexts, they were extremely valued in culture. But it's just they functioned in separate worlds. There was a woman's world and a man's world. And following a rabbi in the Jewish world was the role of a man. But Jesus allows Mary to sit at his feet. She's learning. She's becoming a disciple. She too can be a follower of Jesus. Now you have to be careful that, like I said earlier, that we don't just read all our contemporary issues back into this text. Like that's the wrong way to interpret the Bible. Go, I'm looking for a passage that speaks on women's rights. Let's go with this one. That's the wrong way to read the Bible. We read the Bible and we find texts that speak on the issues rather than find issues and read them back into the text. So we want to be very careful with that. And, and while there are, there are other texts in the Bible that speak more clearly on this issue, what Jesus and Luke have in mind for us here is to grab and grasp the understanding that anybody can be a follower of Jesus. Anybody, anybody can be a follower of Christ. Jesus isn't promoting a social agenda. He's not arguing for the entire restructuring of society. What Jesus is doing is saying, Mary can be my disciple. There are no boundaries that keep people out of discipleship. I, I think that if you stop for just a second and j just internalize that concept, 
Because Jesus is calling you to be a disciple, a follower of him. Uh, and there, there's no boundary that can keep you out of that. Jesus isn't calling you merely to adopt the religion of Christianity. Jesus is calling you to be a follower, a disciple, someone who lives, loves, and gives like Jesus. We define it and put it on the wall. What's, what's a disciple? Someone who lives, loves, and gives like Jesus. He's calling you, and you, no matter who you are or what your background is or what you've done or where you come from, no matter what color your skin is or your gender, it doesn't matter. You too can be a disciple. You're not too dumb. You're not too sinful. Not, you haven't failed too much. Maybe you're not seminary trained or as spiritual as one of our elders. Jesus is inviting you to take a seat at his feet and follow him, to listen and obey, to hear. And so, I think that one of the things we take from this text is sometimes we use it as an excuse. Like, I'm not, I don't know enough to be a disciple. Or I don't know, you know, I, like I'm just doing my best and I don't, I don't know. We just use this as an excuse and Jesus is saying, I don't care who you are or what your background is. You can be a follower of me. That's what he's saying. And then if you just for a second, stop looking internally and then look outward. It also affects how you look at other people, doesn't it? You can't look out, down on someone who wants to be a follower of Christ and go, oh man, that, that person's from the wrong side of the tracks or that person's got so many problems, they can never be a follower of Jesus. You can't look, anyone can come to Jesus. Anyone can listen and obey. Anyone can take part of the good portion. And in the first four, three verses of our text today, like this is the shocking truth that Mary reveals and Jesus wants us to see. And Luke is highlighting it for us, is that being a disciple of Jesus is the good portion and anyone can partake in the good portion. There's a second thing that he says to us today. And the second thing is that when it comes to the good portion, anyone can partake, but most are distracted. But most are distracted. I think this is the single greatest hindrance for 21st century American Christians is distractions of life. There's a comparison here that Luke does in the text. It's really fascinating. In verse 39, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Mary never says anything in this text. We don't get quotes from her. We don't know what. She just listened. Mary listened. But Martha, the contrasting word, distraction. Mary listened. Martha was distracted. I can relate to that. I understand that. Luke juxtaposes these words and it just makes a lot of sense that he does that. Uh, if you think about jumping back to my opening story about driving through the mountains of Colorado, um, if the good portion of my vacation was taking in the majesty of God's creation, the reality was I was focused on necessary tasks at hand. <laughs> the distraction of driving was not without purpose. It was kind of important. Uh, being a good driver, the tasks at hand that often distract us are often good and important things. And that we don't just give them up. It's keeping my family safe for trying, not doing a good job. 
In fact, at the moment, I probably should have been doing a better job of it. Jesus isn't saying to Martha, give up all tasks in life and sit in a corner and just meditate. That's not what Luke wants us to get from this text today. But the reality is Martha shows us that we are distracted from following Jesus. So what distracts Martha? I think there's three things here that I just want to highlight. Three distractions that she has today we can see here. Uh, the first thing is the task. Um, I didn't put these on the screen, so you'll just have to actually listen to me. Uh, cra crazy stuff. Um, so what distracts Martha? The task. I mean, there was a lot of work to be done, and her sister Mary is just sitting there. <laughs> Uh, the way that Martha asks the question, uh, she says, Lord, uh, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her to help me. She assumes Jesus does care, and she assumes that Jesus is on her side and going get, to get on Mary's case, you know? But it also sort of rings as an accusation against Jesus, you know? Like, Jesus, what kind of show are you running here? Like, what kind of ship, is it, you know? What is going on that you would allow this to happen? Or, or kind of like the, the, the one child complaining about another child, you know, like, Dad, Mary's just sitting there while I do all the work. You okay with that? It just kind of reeks of that. Like, all she can see is the task at hand of getting this thing together. Jesus never tells Martha that she was wrong in working on the task. He just says that there's, there's something that she is missing. The task has completely distracted her from the good portion. So what distracts Martha? A task. Another thing that distracts Martha is the notions of how things should be. She's distracted by the, how, the, the task at hand, but she has this notion of the way things that are supposed to be. Tell her to help me, she says. Here's the underlying issue for Martha. Martha knows culturally she is not allowed in that room. She is not allowed, and she's certainly not allowed to be sitting at the feet of a rabbi with the men, the followers of Jesus. And she knows that Mary is not allowed in there. Mary is breaking the cultural rules, and Martha can't stand it. It doesn't feel right. And, and Martha gets on Jesus a little bit. Get Mary back into the role that you know she's supposed to be in. Martha's distracted from the good portion. She cares more about the way that things should be than she does about actually partaking in the good portion, being a disciple of Jesus. And so Martha's distracted by the task, much serving. She's distracted by the way things she thinks should be. And then the third thing is she's consumed with someone else's business. If there's ever a text in the Bible that's, that says, quit caring so much about what other people are doing, this is it. Uh, I think Martha is the oldest daughter. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm biased because I'm the youngest child, but I know how you older siblings work. You know, I, I, I get this. You know, I, I know that you're always trying to parent the younger sibling. I get it. We, I've, been, I've been pushed around as a younger kid. I have a lot of compassion for the younger kids. Now, I also know that I, I knew how to yell mom at just the right time to get my brother in trouble, right? Like I was a master of it. Uh, okay, so this two-way street, but I, I get it. I think Martha is just so consumed 
with what her little sister isn't doing. And Jesus tells Martha gently, you are anxious. She says it. You are anxious and troubled about many things. What he means is you're so concerned about what your sister is doing. Many things. Uh, Luke, Luke does another comparison in words here. He, he says uh, to Martha, Martha is anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Many things, one thing. Uh, I don't know about you, but I can only focus on one thing at a time. <laughs> it's just how I'm wired. And that came to fruition uh, very visibly for me this week as uh, Clarissa and Malachi and Olivia were all sick at the same time, okay? And so B Benjamin escaped, but he's in high school, so we never see him hardly anyway. And so uh, he escaped the whole thing, and I was left to care Clarissa doesn't need much. She's very self She's like the, the model sick person, right? But kind Livy, oh man. Dad, 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 dad. Every time I turn around, I'd be doing one thing for him. And then, dad, I need this. And I couldn't finish that task before the next one was in front of me. Dad, I was just wanted to say it. I'm like, this is what my wife does all the time. She's amazing. It was, it was crazy. I'm like, can I just do one thing? One thing. Mary, it gets the idea of one thing. She's absolutely focused on being a follower of Jesus. You see, most don't partake in the good portion because they're too distracted, just like Martha, with many things. And Martha had a lot to get done. I want to know today, are you a get-or-done kind of person? You, you get the Martha, like... You go, oh man, I, like I, I got a task list and, and I want to get it done. And you're like, oh, I can't, I can't stop until I get all the tasks done. I remember growing up, my mom uh, was a lot like this. I don't think mom ever watched a TV show with us when we were a kid because there's too much stuff to do. She's running around the house. I'm like, but mom, Knight Rider's on. How would you not want to watch Knight Rider? <laughs> I can't fathom why. Anyway, but yeah, she'd be running around and like, like you get it. I, I get it. Are, are you busy working on your phone? You know, you know, we just, this thing just goes with us everywhere. Just means that your job has to go with you everywhere at all times. We work 20 hours, 16 hours a day. We're distracted by it. House tasks, kid tasks. I just talked to a lady who every day drives her kid uh, to dance in Ankeny, comes back, then goes back to Ankeny to pick her up. And she does this every day. Oh, wow. Uh, that's, that, I mean, that's busy. It's a lot of stuff. Kid task, social networking task. If you have Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat chat, and uh, what's, the, what's the, uh, the, the, the video one that you guys do? Ah. What a TikTok. There you go. <laughs> TikTok. You, you got to keep up with all this stuff, man. It takes a lot. We've got a lot of stuff. We're so distracted. I, I got home improvement tasks. I had a list of like 60 things that need to be fixed on my house. And by golly, I'm going to get them all done in a week. I don't know why. Just, I, I get this idea. 
The answer is not to stop doing things. Uh, <laughs> that's what we call in theological circles an overreaction. Uh, it's, it's not disciples do tasks. They do things. They do. The 72 that Jesus sent out did a major task. But there's a depth in your relationship with Christ, your call to discipleship, that is more important than the tasks that are in front of you. So are you distracted by tasks? You get, Martha. You get, I get it. Um, how, how about the distractions of how things should be? I mean, Martha literally thought Mary should be in the kitchen. Uh, I don't know, churches get into trouble when they focus on all kinds of non-biblical things that really don't matter. Uh, we let our cultural indoctrination seep into our understanding of the Bible. It should be the other way around. The Bible should seep into our understanding of culture. There are certain things that we do here at WCC that probably rub against your church background a little bit because I'm fairly confident we're not like maybe the church you grew up in. Um, and, and there's certain things like this that happen. I've had, I've had like two or three or four people come up to me and go, you know, Dave, one of the things we do, X, Y, or Z, different things, it makes me a little uncomfortable because we didn't do them that way in the church I grew up. But I've heard, heard repeatedly this. It's uncomfortable, but I read the scriptures. It's certainly not a violation of what God wants for his church. So I'm willing to be a little uncomfortable. Man, I'm, I'm proud to have a part of a church, to be your pastor. When I hear things like that, saying I will not be distracted by my notions of how things should be according to me, but all true to scripture. Martha's notion of how it should be was distracting her from seeing what God was actually doing. Are you distracted by tasks? Are you distracted by these notions? Or are you distracted by worries of what other people are doing? Martha was consumed by her sister's action. You and I, we just can't be consumed with what other people are doing. We can't be so consumed with a societal injustice. It's a, it's a good thing to think about and be working. But we can't be so consumed with it that we fail to examine our own life. Martha was so consumed about Mary that she didn't focus on what God was doing, what Jesus was doing in her life. And why we believe that, uh, you know, collectively the body of Christ, the church is important you and I have to make sure that God is transforming us individually because we're, we make up the church. And so it takes time. It's hard. It takes time to not be distracted from the good portion. You, you and I need intimacy with the Lord. And never at the expense of doing kingdom work. Uh, Mary said no to responsibilities of life to pursue Jesus. But she didn't say no to all tasks in life. She just said discipleship is going to be the good portion. It's going to be primary. Mary has chosen the good portion. See, Martha was doing the things that needed to be done, but somehow she thought that the thing that needed to be done was more important than being a, a follower of Jesus. You and I do this. 
We, we elevate the wrong thing, and it's called distraction. How do we not do that? Well, I, I think that it doesn't mean we just check out of life, but I do think we have to constantly reevaluate our priorities. Um, but just saying to yourself, have I made time to sit at the feet of my master Jesus? If you're like most people, you don't. So this word, this thing that we talk about every day, this word of God, every Sunday we talk about it, it should be a, a part of your life. It should be ingested daily because this is how God speaks to you. It's one of the ways. Um, we, you should make time if you're a reader to read about how other people are growing in their walk with Christ. There's a lot of bad authors out there, so ask someone else before you pick up some Christian book. It's probably a bad one. But the idea is you're saying, I'm going to engage. Maybe you're not a reader. Maybe you just need to listen. Maybe you, you listen to podcasts and try to engage and sit and learn. Um, memorize scripture. If you, if you want a challenge, I encourage you to memorize Colossians chapter 3. A whole thing. You can do it. You're not too old. I, believe me, you can do it. Memorize an entire chapter of scripture. Might take you a year. Great. But you, it's amazing. Colossians chapter 3, I memorized it when I was 18 years old. And it stuck with me. Every time someone reads it, I start reciting it along with them. It's just, uh, it's powerful. Those, that imagery of being risen with Christ changes the way I think. Um, yeah. Use your time to listen. Uh, so many mornings when I wake up, one of the things is, I, maybe again, I'm just getting old, but I, I wake up at 5.30 in the morning now. And, uh, and so by, by 9.30, I'm <laughs> done. But I wake up and, and the house is quiet and, oh, this is fantastic. I get up and I go into the stairs. But uh, one of the tasks that I participate in our household task is, is try, I try to do the dishes every day. And so usually I go down in the morning and I unload the dishwasher and I reload it. And one of the things I do while I'm doing a task that's important, I listen. I listen to scripture. I, I'm, I'm working through the Bible in a year. And so I listen and I listen to it. And I take that time. I mean, there's creative ways that you can sit at the feet of the master. Uh, I, I have a worship lit. Well, you can worship. Uh, that's a great thing about technology. You can participate in worship anywhere. I have a Spotify playlist of all my favorite WCC worship songs that, that our worship team sings. And, and there's so many good ones there. And I was just listening to this morning. If you, if you text me, I'll share it with you. I think you can figure out how to do that. But it's just awesome. Like it, we just intentionally say, I say, God, how am I going to worship you today? Now, I go to work. I do things in life. But I prioritize in my mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. So I want to know what the challenge for you is as we just wrap up and come to a close here. What's the challenge? If you're on the first front, if you're doubting whether you can be a disciple, uh, I, I want you to just make this mental decision to go, yeah, to whatever I've done, whoever I too can follow the teachings of Jesus. I can be his disciple. And if you are living in a world of distraction, I want to challenge you to identify the distraction. And then, when you identify it, intentionally sit in your life 
at the feet of Jesus and make a decision for what that looks like. And I think the realization is that, I don't know, you and I can't do it on our own. Like being a, being a follower of Jesus, like you're not just going to go, okay, you know, this isn't uh, a, you know, a 10-week fitness boot camp. Like the only way you can be a follower of Jesus is with the strength and help that he provides. That's, that's the only way you can do it. And so it's realizing this Jesus who has called me and wants me, I, I can do this with his strength and with his help. Let's pray. Father, we humble, humbly ask that you would, that you would help us to avoid distractions and to pursue Christ-likeness in everything we do. We know that without your help, we can't do this. And so we ask that in your, the power of your Holy Spirit, that you who raised us from the grave with Christ to new life, that you would help us to continually live, love, and give like Jesus. It's in the precious name of Christ we pray. Amen.